Welcome to Vitality Radio. I'm Jared St. Clair, and I've got an interesting show for you today. It's going to be a little shorter than normal. Uh, I'm on a bit of a tight schedule and trying to navigate the waters of podcasting and podcast production without my sweet Michaela, who normally does my, all of my production and um, recently uh, ended up having her baby a little earlier than expected. And so <laughs> we got a little caught off guard, but uh, up to this point anyway, baby and mama are fine and we will certainly be thrilled uh, to have Michaela back when she is available. In the meantime, I've been uh, reading. I've been reading a lot of articles about a lot of things and looking for, you know, anything in the news that maybe you need to hear about uh, or that I think you need to hear about anyway. Certainly something that I believe you might need to hear my perspective on. Uh, That uh, really matches up well with this sign that I have in my office that says, I believe that everyone is entitled to my opinion. And I guess maybe you want my opinion. Maybe that's why you listen to Vitality Radio. Regardless of why you listen, whether it's entertainment or education or a little bit of both, I appreciate you very, very much. I've recently had the opportunity to do some additional shows outside of my own show. I was on the Robert Scott Bell show recently. Uh, You may want to check that one out. That was a really fun conversation. I was also on Eat Well uh, with Lisa, uh, the Eat Well, Think Well, Be Well uh, podcast, I believe. I hope I got that right. Uh, We'll put links in this episode for you if you'd like to hear me talk about that. I go deep into the microbiome. And as I was reading today, I decided that I have to talk microbiome again, but in a different way than I have. So I don't think this will be much of a rehash for you. I think it'll mostly be new. And I think it's pretty important. I was reading an article uh, in Healthline called IBS and Gut Bacteria, How They're Related. And of course, I think almost anybody listening to Vitality Radio would already assume that they are indeed related, that that is something that... um, We all just know and maybe even take for granted. But as I started reading this article, I came up with some really interesting, well, how do I put it? Uh, There was some interesting information within the article in terms of how it's presented from the researchers and uh, what they do know and don't know about the microbiome. And I thought it was fascinating And also just a little bit rantable. So that's what we're going to do here in just a moment. If you have questions about anything you hear on Vitality Radio, you can call us at Vitality Nutrition at 801-292-6662. That's 801-292-6662. Or you can jump online, vitalitynutrition.com. There's even a chat option in there that you can jump into, and we'd be happy to chat with you if you have questions there. All right, without further ado, let's jump into IBS and gut bacteria and how they're related. According to Healthline Health News, an article by Julia Rice, I believe is how you would say this name. Uh, And it was even fact-checked by Maria Gifford. So there you go. Uh, Tag-teaming this article that was just released uh, two days ago. The gut microbiota, a mix of microorganisms that live in the digestive tracts of humans 
that aid in metabolism, digestion, and immune function. That's kind of the sub-headline. Here's what they say about IBS, irritable bowel syndrome. I'm going to read a fair amount of this article, so bear with me because I think you need to hear it from the horse's mouth, so to speak. IBS may be influenced by abnormal levels of bacteria in your gut, a.k.a. the gut microbiota, they call it. I call it the microbiome, but, you know, tomato, tomato. According to a new study from Korea, the gut microbiome, the mix of microorganisms that live in the digestive tracts of humans, uh, aid in metabolism, digestion, and immune function, abnormal bacteria balances, which are referred to as gut bacterial dysbiosis has been linked to a number of GI issues, including celiac, ulcerative colitis, and even Crohn's disease. The new report, published in the journal Microbiology Spectrum on Thursday, suggests that changes to bacteria in the gut may trigger IBS symptoms too. Now, that's the first line that really caught my eye. Believe it or not, there is a research study published in a medical journal saying that there is a at least the suggestion that changes in bacteria may indeed trigger IBS symptoms. Now, the fact that they are still saying that this may be part of the issue would indicate to me something very, very simple, and that is they haven't come up with a drug to fight IBS yet. They do prescribe SSRIs for IBS, believe it or not. That's selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, antidepressants. Yeah, they prescribe those. And there is a probiotic, at least one that I'm aware of, called VSL that's prescribed. But because they haven't come up with a drug that they can prescribe for IBS, IBS becomes a bit of a catch-all for a bunch of different symptoms. They don't know how to treat with anything other than, you know, Tums or... Mylanta or Pepto-Bismol or whatever, and therefore everything's going to be a suggestion that maybe until they can come up with a drug that can absolutely treat this thing because, well, that's just how it works in medical research. Past research, the article says, has identified an association, an associated link between IBS, a common gastrointestinal disorder that causes abdominal pain, diarrhea, and constipation, and gut bacterial dysbiosis. However, because the causes of IBS remain a mystery, it's unclear now exactly how the microbiome plays a role in the development of the disorder. So there's a lot to pick apart in this article. They say that, you know, past research has identified that the IBS and uh, the microbiome are related, duh, right? And then they say that um, this gut bacterial dysbiosis um, is, well, it's there, it's unclear how it actually impacts us. And my favorite thing is because the causes of IBS remain a mystery. Now, don't get me wrong from my previous statement. There are lots of drugs for this. I'm currently working with a couple of clients on multiple different drugs for, quote unquote, IBS, including antidepressants, anti-anxiety medications, and even uh, medications that are supposed to prevent gut spasming and medications that are supposed to prevent excessive acid in the digestive system and so on. So yes, they are treating these things with drugs, but they're not treating them successfully. There are very, very few patients 
that actually get any kind of resolution from this going the medical route. And therefore, according to medical researchers, it's just simply a mystery, IBS. But is it a mystery? I mean, that's really the question that I have. Is it a mystery or are they just choosing to not see the truth? You know, this happened during the uh, last few years with this virus that was rolling around. You may have heard of it. And uh, they kept saying, well, we have to social distance and we have to wear masks because we don't know how to prevent this thing uh, from hurting us. And yet there was all kinds of evidence from the very moment that this thing surfaced, in fact, from every other viral thing that had ever surfaced, that we did know what we could do, that we knew there were really, really effective methods to prevent illness, such as a healthy microbiome or a lot of vitamin D, levels above 50 proved to be almost a guaranteed lifesaver for people who ended up hospitalized with that thing. And on top of all of that, we had a hundred other remedies that could potentially be helpful, but that were hidden, lied about, uh, sheltered from view, even pharmaceutical remedies such as ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine, but also lots of natural things like zinc and NAC and quercetin and vitamin C and vitamin A and vitamin D and elderberry extract and echinacea and aged garlic extract and colloidal silver, all of which have plenty of at least circumstantial, we'll say, evidence uh, that they could have been useful and helpful against this thing. But, of course, the media and the government, and particularly the government health organizations, the county health, um, uh, what do you call that, health departments, and the CDC, and the FDA, and the NIH and the World Health Organization and the Bill Gates of the world and all of these people pointing away from anything that could possibly be helpful if it wasn't a brand new experimental use drug. <sighs> but I digress. My point in bringing that parallel to you is that we see this all of the time. When there are tried and true natural remedies that truly bring relief to things like IBS or viral infections or you name the thing, acid reflux, uh, sinus infections, urinary tract infections, whatever it is, when those things exist and we know that they work because there's actual clinical evidence in real human beings, in actual double-blind, placebo-controlled studies in many cases. If it's not a patentable drug, then it's just speculation, and there's always more research that needs to be done because why would it be any different? You know, capitalism is an interesting thing. I'm a capitalist. I own a business. I'm an entrepreneur. All right. I have a podcast. I have, I have a website where I sell products. I have a brick and mortar store where I sell products. I go out and speak on the little speaking circuit in Utah, uh, talking about all of these things. I go on other people's podcasts talking about these things. And there is 
there are two reasons that I do it. First, I love it. I love talking about this stuff, and I love educating people on these topics. But the second reason is absolutely just as important because it is my livelihood. I need to stay in business in order to support my family. And so that's capitalism, right? Well, capitalism, like every other ism, has a dark side, and the dark side of capitalism is greed. And that greed and demand for power over your health seems to be the driving force behind pharma and all of these pharma rags like Healthline. Yeah, Healthline isn't written by Pfizer, but it is heavily funded by Pfizer. I mean, we have so many different drug ads on every page of Healthline.com that it's pretty obvious who they are beholden to. Now, that being said, believe it or not, they also have vitamin and mineral and probiotic ads. So I guess they're beholden to those guys too. It's a little bit of a mixed up crazy world. But the point of the matter is when we read articles like this and they say things like IBS remains a mystery, okay, does it really? I mean, listen, the microbiome is vast. It's thousands of different species down there. And we don't know what all of them do. We haven't even isolated the vast majority of them. It's a really, really confusing and heavily researched, but still tons and tons there to discover in the category of the microbiome. It's a big deal. So to say we don't know exactly how it works, yeah, absolutely, we don't know exactly how it works. But to say that IBS remains a mystery, it's not that mysterious. It really isn't. Because this is the thing. We know a few things. We know that the gut should be robust in its diversity of bacteria, robust in its quantity of good bacteria, and that those two things prevent it from becoming dysbiotic or out of balance with bad stuff, bad bacteria or pathogenic organisms that ought not to be there, such as parasites and whatnot. So it's not that mysterious. In fact, it's kind of not mysterious at all. While we may not know exactly every single thing that every single species does, we do know what a healthy microbiome does, and that is protect us from gut dysbiosis and IBS and Crohn's and ulcerative colitis and pretty much every autoimmune disease and so many other things, including mental health. We know that the reason an SSRI might actually make somebody with IRS and de- IRS, <laughs> IRS gives me depression. That's probably why I, why I slipped there. IBS and depression. We know that those people get SSRIs and their IBS improves. Is it because it's a serotonin problem in their gut? No, it's a gut, it's gut dysbiosis and gut dysbiosis leads to depression. And if we can calm depression, in some cases, we can then also calm IBS because unfortunately it's a two-way street. It doesn't work in only one direction. When the gut is upset, the brain is upset. And when the brain is upset, the gut 
is upset, and that's really how it works. And it's not a mystery at all. But this guy, Sean Spencer, MD, PhD, pretty smart guy, it sounds like. I don't know how many years you have to go to be an MD and a PhD, but it's a lot more years of college than I than I have obtained uh, in my youth. He says, many studies have been found that the microbiome found in those with IBS is distinct from unhealthy, in, or for, sorry, from healthy individuals. As our understanding of the exact mechanisms of IBS disease remain unclear, fitting an altered microbiome into this picture remains an active area of investigation. So, yeah, he does use one word there that I agree with, and that is that we don't have an exact understanding of the mechanisms. All right, so IBS is linked to abnormal levels of gut bacteria. That's, <laughs> that's one of the takeaways. Let's dig into that and see what the study actually showed. They studied, um, first they evaluated the gut bacterial communities of 19 children with IBS and 24 children without. Then they studied 567 adult individuals with IBS and 487 without. The team found no difference in the stool diversity in their data set. However, after combining all of the data sets, they found that people with IBS had, in general, much lower diversity compared to healthy individuals. Now, this is where this study really shines, because it's really very recent. Just in the last, I don't know, maybe 10 years or so, uh, maybe a little longer, but it's somewhere in that range, that we've known that diversity had much to do with it at all, at least that's the first time I ever started reading about it. And now they are proving that, yes, the diversity matters a lot. And, and at the end of this show, don't worry, I'm not just ranting. I'm going to help you understand how to maximize your diversity because there are ways to do it. Um, they found that in particular, as they were looking for specific species, that there were at least 21 bacterial species uh, that were different from IBS patients to healthy patients. Unfortunately, this article does not list the 21, and I have not been able to find the 21 in my other research. If I do find what they are, I'll certainly let you know. Uh, Spencer says, it's an important finding given the large and diverse cohort that was analyzed. And yes, I would agree with that. It is a very important uh, finding that the diversity matters. So what else have they discovered? Well, the next headline in this article says, what's the relationship between gut bacteria and GI issues? It's difficult to know if microbiome alterations precede GI disease and actually contribute to the development or if they are a consequence of the GI disease, Spencer said. Now, I, I like what he's saying there because it's true. It is true. The chicken and the egg thing, right? Which came first? Well, while it is true that they don't know this, it is, I think, incredibly safe to assume that there has to be disruption in the gut microbiome prior to the IBS symptoms taking place. Now, why can we assume this? Well, here's, here's a question that I have, and I think it's a valid question, but the researchers didn't appear to ask it, and that is, of the 487 or whatever it was, people that, they, that have IBS... Did they ask how they were birthed? Were they vaginally born or cesarean section? Did they ask if they were breastfed? And if so, for how long? And did they ask the most critical question of all, how many antibiotics were they on before they started experiencing IBS? Were they eating organic food or glyphosate-rich food? These are Koreans. I hope they're not using as much glyphosate over there as they are here. I don't know. But, uh, and I 
certainly would hope that they're not using as many antibiotics there because I don't think anyone uses more antibiotics in America. But regardless, those are questions that really need to be asked. And if they ask those questions and ask the same questions of those that were healthy, what would the differences be? And I would be absolutely mind blown if the differences there didn't actually answer the question. How many different layers of abuse has your microbiome taken prior to IBS symptoms? I anticipate there's a big difference. Now, why do I believe that and why am I so strongly um, focused on that? Well, because that's the question I ask every single person who's ever come in to Vitality to ask me about IBS symptoms is, okay, tell me about your first four years. That's what I tell them. That's what I ask them, I should say. What happened in your first four years? How were you born? Were you breastfed? If not, that's a problem. If so, how long? Was it at least 10, 12, 15 months, like studies indicate, helped to form that perfect, healthy adult microbiome? Did you have ear infections? Did you have strep throat? So on, so on and so forth. There is a very occasional person that will answer those questions negatively, saying, oh, no, I don't think I had any antibiotics. And yeah, I was born not by C-section and I was breastfed, that will still have some IBS conditions. But my goodness, is it the minority? I may have heard that twice ever. So maybe if they just went back and took a history lesson from each of these individuals, they would learn a lot more. But they didn't. Why didn't they? I don't know. I don't know why they don't ask those questions. It seems to me very, very wise to dive into that information. So basically, the article wraps up like this, and I think this is pretty val valuable, so I'm going to go ahead and read it exactly as they wrote it. A diver diverse microbiome is consistently associated with a healthy gut. Nearly all diseases are associated with a lower microbiota diversity, says Spencer. The good news, the microbiome is malleable. It can easily be influenced by special diets and medications like antibiotics, according to Alper, one of the other researchers. For example, a recent study found that people could boost their microbiome diversity by eating more fermented foods. This shows we may have the power to increase microbiome diversity with the food we eat, Spencer said. <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, is he talking to four-year-olds? Because it sounds like he's talking to four-year-olds. The first line... There's a study that shows that eating more fermented foods improves the microbiome diversity. And then he says, this shows that what we eat can influence our microbiome. Thank you. Elimination diets can drastically change the gut microbiome, and scientists are still uncovering the risks and benefits of such diets. They say, we do know that a healthy gut microbiome, what a, gut, a healthy gut microbiome looks like. And we do know that a diverse gut microbiome is very important. Diversity here is extremely important, according to Alper. Okay, so that's the article. Why am I all ranting and raving about it? Well, I think you probably already got the picture. Basically, whenever they, whenever it comes back to something you can do for yourself with how you eat or with supplementation as opposed to pharmaceuticals or some sort of surgery, they always leave all kinds of room for speculation. Whereas when it came to those experimental use things that they came out and any speculation was quashed and smashed and blown into 
bits by the censors and the fact checkers and everything else, because if they want you to believe something, they will leave no room for doubt in the words that they use. If they want you to read and be intrigued and then wonder, oh, well, but maybe, uh, I well, is that, uh, I don't know, is that actually going to work for me? Then they're going to leave all kinds of room for doubt in their articles because that's just what they do. It doesn't behoove them in pharma or in media or in government for you to be able to take charge of your own health. But that's what Vitality Radio is all about. It's about educating in a way that I hope is not just informational, but also educational and entertaining, I hope. I hope when I stumble over my words and laugh at myself, you get a good laugh out of it, because I do. (laughs) That's just, I guess it's just who I am. But here's the point overall, because this is just one big ramble rant that I've done today. And that is this. We do know, we do know from plenty of research how to properly influence the microbiome. The first thing we must do is recognize that there are almost always alternatives. Almost every single time that you are recommended an antibiotic, you can get away without one. Almost every single time. Sometimes an antibiotic will save your life, and that's when, they're, when they shine. That's when they are really, truly miraculous products. But in most cases, you're fighting a sinus infection or some strep throat or a urinary tract infection. And while all of those can get really, really bad, they all have alternatives. There are plenty of things that you can do for all of them. So, and I've done lots of shows talking about that, and that's not what this show is about. But if you have questions about any of that, you can call us, 801-292-6662. But how do you influence the microbiome besides avoiding antibiotics? Well, it's critical that we also recognize that glyphosate, or Roundup, is a human antibiotic. So avoid that, too. That means eating organic and non-genetically modified. If you didn't listen to my show with Hans Eisenbeis, You've got to listen to it because it was awesome. It was just a week ago, week and a half ago. And I absolutely love that episode. One of my favorite interviews I've ever done. It That information needs to be heard so that you can appreciate just how valuable non-GMO and organic really are to your health. But what else? Well, I guess I'm going to have to get up on my soapbox for just a minute and remind you. We were meant to get dirty. Think about our ancestors. We live in such a sterile world now. We live indoors, right? We're not having to build fires to stay warm. We're not having to plow the fields, at least the vast majority of us aren't, to eat or go out and and forage or hunt for our food, for our sustenance. Instead, we're inside wiping everything down with Clorox wipes and dumping Purell in our kids' hands every time they touch something that, God forbid, would have a germ on it. And we're not paying attention. We as a society are not paying attention to what God put into us innately when we reach out as a one-year-old and grab that thing, whatever that thing may be, and shove it in our mouth. Sometimes it's our toe. And who knows what's on that thing, right? There's a reason why babies do that. We are meant to live with the dirt and the germs. There is something known as a commensal organism. A commensal organism is something found in our environment 
that gets into our body and does us really, really great services while it's there, and then it leaves. We don't do anything for a commensal organism. It comes out the same way as it went in. But while it's in there, it does all kinds of good work for us. And therefore, we ought to be willing to get dirty and let our kids get dirty. To literally become tree huggers. Go out there and be one with the wilderness. Ground yourself. Walk barefoot outside. Do the things that we used to do years ago before we decided everything needed to be sterilized. Because what those cowards in Washington told you during this last three years about social distance and plexiglass in between human beings and don't shake hands, bump elbows, stay at least six feet apart, wear a mask, that stuff beats the hell out of our immune systems. It prevents us from sharing our immunity with our fellow man. Hug somebody. Hug them often. Get that oxytocin, oxytocin rush. Get their microbiome on you. It might sound a little weird, but it's absolutely necessary. If you want to rebuild the diversity of your gut, you want to get rid of IBS, quit being so damn clean. Okay, I've got just a couple more minutes. I'm going to take a couple of deep breaths. And I'm going to tell you this. We have been given everything we need to find optimal wellness. We have. I believe that. It's all right here. Do I avoid doctors every single moment that I possibly can? Absolutely. But do I go to them when I really need them and I can't get there without them? Absolutely. There is a place for what doctors do. But we as a society have chosen to think that the only answer to any of this stuff is through pharmaceuticals and surgeries. And it's just not true. It never has been true. We can do this without that. A lot of people doing it right now. You might be one of them. You may be one of them that's making your own elderberry tonic. You may be one of them that is putting drops in your kid's eyes for pink eye or in their ear for an ear infection or spraying something up their nose for a sinus infection that won't harm them, that really can't harm them, and that is not a pharmaceutical because you've learned how to do it the natural way. And if we can learn to do it the natural way, guess what? We end up not having things like IBS because we didn't run the wrecking ball of antibiotics through our colon over and over and over again. I love nature. I love what God gave us here. And I love the incredible wealth of information that's now available on those things through all types of resources. Podcasts like this, podcasts like the Just Ingredients podcast, podcasts like Robert Scott Bell, and so many others have these amazing tools and information for each of us. So take those tools, learn from them, and build your microbiome and your healthier life. 
Oh, and lastly, besides getting dirty, yes, eat fermented foods. They do matter. There's really good evidence that they matter. And they seem to be more resilient than oral probiotic capsules, human strain probiotic capsules in some ways. They seem to actually make a bigger dent in the diversity of the gut. I don't quite understand why that is. I'm still trying to figure that out. But the fact that it is, is really all that matters, right? And then remember, the commensal strains that I was talking about, the commensal bacteria that we find in the dirt and the salt and the sand and the dust, those are also available as supplements now. We didn't used to have this. It's amazing stuff. The technology that has come with all kinds of not such good things has also blessed us with so many beautiful things, like the ability to listen to somebody in Utah talk about the microbiome, no matter where you are, whenever you want, on this little device that used to be used just for calling people, right? Well, that same technology has uh, advanced so many things, and while it's advancing pharmaceutical stuff, it is also advancing natural stuff. And one of the biggest, greatest advances I've ever seen came around about 12, 15 years ago when we figured out how to put spore-forming probiotics into a supplement so that we could rebuild our microbiome, fix our leaky gut, and satisfy the needs of our gut so that we don't have things like IBS anymore. The keys to IBS are treating the gut in a healthy way and taking good care of it. And we do that through all the things I've mentioned before, through the spore probiotics. The one that I am the most fond of, of course, is my own formula that took me 12 years to put together. But boy, do I love it called precision probiotic. And then making sure we've got enough stomach acid. Sometimes that's through th simple things like apple cider vinegar capsules or HCL and things like aloe vera juice that can restructure and rebuild the tissue in the gut. And also things like digestive enzymes, especially if you're over the age of 30. If you're over the age of 30 and you're not doing enzymes and probiotics and you're dealing with IBS, then jump in. You will love how it feels. Truly amazing stuff. Okay, I've rambled enough for today. Short episode, like I said. I love you. Anyone who listens to this show, I love you. Thank you so much for doing it. It matters. Let's get out there and get human connection going again. Let's shake hands and hug and love our fellow man, not be scared of him. Let's build our microbiomes together. I'm Jared St. Clair, and this has been Vitality Radio. been listening to the vitality radio podcast enjoy your week in the meantime jared will be feverishly searching for the latest nutrition info to educate you on and wading into mounds of propaganda to help steer you through it vitality radio is researched and written by jared st Clair. our awesome music is by brian bob young support vitality radio by subscribing and giving us a five-star review on apple podcasts youtube or your favorite podcast source don't forget to follow us at Vitality Radio on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Please let us know your thoughts about this episode by using the hashtag Vitality Radio Podcast. And if you like what you hear, go tell somebody with a share, a screenshot, or an airdrop. Thank you.
Just a reminder that this podcast is for educational purposes only. The FDA has not evaluated this podcast. This podcast is provided with the understanding that information shared is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This podcast is not a substitute for care by a medical professional. Thank you.